0: Today, we're going to look at the second of our five values, and it's the value of excellence. I want to read you this. I thought this was great. You might have seen this email or something like that. These were things (laughs) that were rumored, I don't know if they're true or not, to have been written on doctor's charts in patients' uh, rooms at the hospital. You go in, doctor pulls up a chart. Here's some things that supposedly have been written. One, uh, the patient refused autopsy, which is good (laughs) if you're you're the patient. Uh, patient has left white blood cells at another hospital. Patient recovering from forehead cut. Patient became very angry when given an enema by mistake. <laughs> uh, patient has chest pains if she lies on her left side for over a year. You know, that like a period or a comma, you know, it's such a big deal. On the second day, the knee was better. And on the third day, it disappeared. <laughs> I like this one. The patient is tearful and crying constantly. She also appears to be depressed. The patient has been depressed since she began seeing me in 1993. <laughs> Maybe you need a new doctor. Another good one. Uh, she's numb from her toes down. Uh, while in the ER, she was examined, X-rated and sent home. And then some would make you go, well, how does that happen? The skin was moist and dry. And occasional, constant, infrequent headaches. You know that, occasional and constant and infrequent headaches. The um, patient was alert and unresponsive. This one, I'll save that one for last. That one's crazy. Um, she stated that she'd been constipated for most of her life until she got a divorce. <laughs> I don't know. I saw your patient today who is still under our car for physical therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll skip this one for our students, but y'all will appreciate this one. The lab test indicated abnormal lover function. Skin, somewhat pale, but present. Patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. And then the one that really makes me uncomfortable, rectal examination revealed a normal sized thyroid. If you don't know where the thyroid is, it's nowhere near a rectal examination. That is a long journey to check the thyroid. We want our doctors to be excellent, right? I mean, those are funny. Those, but I mean, could you imagine this type of conversation? I can, could you imagine like, you've got like open heart surgery scheduled and you're talking to a friend like, oh yeah, I know that doctor, oh yeah, he's gonna be, man. he's doing the thing and, the, and you know, what do you think about him? And they went, yeah, he's above average. Right? I mean, <laughs> like they, no. I mean, above average is probably okay in a lot of things, but not, not for a doctor. You know, we, we, we don't want to hear, he's, you know, yeah, he's, a, he's a great guy. That, that's not what we want to hear. A you know, little shaky, sometimes gives the wrong medicine. But other than that, he's fabulous. You know what I mean? You, we'd want excellence in doctors. But here's, here's the truth. We want and we need to be excellent. We need to be excellent in things that we do. And that's, that can be difficult because excellence takes, excellence sometimes takes extra time. Excellence takes this commitment to say, I'm not going to settle for above average. I'm going to go a little bit further. We're excellent with the things that we're passionate about. This thing is going to come in handy. We're excellent with the things that we're, that we're passionate about. Now, let me give you an example. And I'm, just going to, I'm going to explain to you my full nerdiness right now. Um, so... On Friday nights during the fall, and I've talked about this some, Friday nights during the fall, my my Sabbath, my my getaway, my time to uh, recreate and refresh and take a deep breath from uh, church life and sermon prepping and meetings and things like that is to go watch Texas high school football. Favorite thing to do. I love Texas high school football, honestly, more than I love college football and pro football, which some people are like, what, it's crazy. What I do, I have a buddy of mine, we invite anybody that wants to go, but usually just me and another buddy named Jay, we drive. We drive around all over the state. We'll go watch kids if we have kids in the youth ministry. We'll go see at least one of their games. But then we go from Dallas, Houston, all over to watch these Division One football players. Uh, it's, just, it's just fun for us. But it's just two of us. But I'm passionate about it, and because I'm passionate about it, excellence in that pours forth. And now, what I would call excellence, you'd go. You need. You need help. You need to see a, a, a counselor or somebody. But I mean, I'll, I will get early before this. I mean, even before schedules are released, I'll start researching a, where do we want to go? Who do we want to see? Start getting all of these different. And then I got to go through all these different high school schedules and try to put together, hey, this week we're going to go here. This week we're going to go there. This week we're going to go there. And it gets worse. When we go, two of us, sometimes there's three or four of us. I will have like this packet that's got like stats on the players we're going to see. I, God, I'm so. I shouldn't have told this story. Oh my gosh, you're never going to look at me the same. Yeah, these stats and it gets worse. We have our own records, like of what we've seen, Texas tour records. And we used to have a blog. That, there's only two of us that went. No one else has read. Every now and then I would get like a email. So-and-so subscribed to your blog. I'm like, why? I mean, I don't even do it anymore because it got so embarrassing. But, but I mean, this thing, and then you go, like, when, when the fall rolls around, the backs, the, I lift, you can lift up the hood of my trailblazer. We've got cushions, we've got back chairs, we've got multiple, pon- I have ponchos for friends. Like, like I've got people sitting next to us that we don't even know at some other, I'm like, you need a poncho? I've got an extra, it's a fold up one. We've got everything you can imagine. And it's not, there's nobody asking me to do that. It's just something I'm passionate about. And so it moves to the next level for me. So if there's things that you're passionate about, You'll do excellent with them. If you were into woodworking or building things where I might, you know, somebody said, hey, will you build me a shelf? You don't want that to happen. But if you did, I mean, my, I'm gonna be like, hey, look, it stands. You put books on it and they don't collapse, good. But if you're a woodworker, you're, I mean, you're gonna have something crafted and it's gonna look nice and it's gonna be stained because it's your passion. We do excellent in the things we're passionate about. We also do excellence in things that, are important to us. When we may not be passionate about it, it's important to us. You know, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old doing finance and stuff for people. I see on a regular basis what it costs to send a kid to college. If you haven't looked, don't. Just wing it when you get there at this point, because your kids are close. So I have, this, I have this Excel spreadsheet that anytime I do x like when I'm in grammar or when I'm doing financial, uh, stuff for families and things like that. <clears throat> if I ever have this extra income, I mean, it puts in there, and, and I have a portion of it that is, that pulls out and it goes into a mutual fund for my kids' college. Now, I'm not passionate about that. You know, I mean, I'm not like, woo, college savings, I love it. It's so much fun. Let me research it more today. No, I mean, but it's important. And because it's important, I mean, I make sure that it's done and I make sure that it's done well. And I do track it to make sure that it's on track and kind of see where it is. So we do excellently in things that we're passionate about, the things that we find are important, but what about the things that don't fall in those categories? I mean, if we were honest, we don't get to spend a lot of time with things that we're passionate about, and really probably not a lot of times that are important to us. Most of our time is spent with just regular life. And and sometimes that can be a a difficult thing to do because we're not thinking in regular life, day-to-day excellence. We're thinking about getting done, really honest, honest with you. Being in Graham, um, I had to speak three times this weekend. And so um, I was on vacation up until Monday. I roll into the office on Monday and I get a, a Facebook message from Lane and I get and I'm, I haven't even looked at my calendar yet. And he's like, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. And I was like, oh, that disciple now is this weekend. I've been on vacation. I wasn't even thinking about it, looking towards it. It was on my calendar. I mean, I forgot about coming. And so I've got to get three messages done. So I get three messages written for them about justice, so it wasn't something I could pull from the past, I haven't done a series on that. And then I've got today, <coughs> four messages in six days. And yesterday, while I'm in Graham, at Graham and their kids are doing recreation, and I'm finishing up this message because I've had no time to work on it earlier in, in the week, I'll be very honest with you, I was not thinking, even though teaching is something I'm passionate about and I feel is important, they, it falls in both those categories. But I was to the point where I really wasn't thinking, how can I make this time with you guys, even though I was looking forward to it, the most excellent it can be. That wasn't crossing my mind. I was thinking, how can I get done? Right? That was, my excellence, honestly, wasn't my goal yesterday. It was getting done because I was just so worn out through the process over and over again. But we've got to rise above that because we have to we have to become excellent. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to flip there. We're gonna be there in just one second. <coughs> but as, as we're transitioning there, Dave Rothman tells the story. He uh, started a job and he was, uh, first down the job, a CIO comes to him and he says this statement. And this kind of encapsulates the tension of excellence. His CIO said, hey, never let perfection get in the way of good enough. And Rothman said, Now I I struggled with that. That was, I mean, the first thing a CIO told him was don't let perfection get in the way of good enough. And he said, as I thought about it, I understood from a business standpoint what he was saying. He was saying, don't let, you know, don't spend so much time trying to get the product to perfect when it's sellable now. Let's get it to the market. We can improve it later. That is good enough, it'll sell. He said, I get that. And he said, but I struggled with the phrase good enough. And he said, I started kind of looking at it because I'd heard things like that. And he said, I realized that phrase was just a, a misspoken interpretation of what the French philosopher Voltaire said years ago when he said the perfect is the enemy of the good. <clears throat> and, and, and Rothman said, I, I came up with my own saying because I didn't like don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. He said, I, I changed it and kind of made my own business motto. And it was don't let, the good, don't let good enough get in the way of excellence. And in this, these phrases, we see some tension. Perfect can get in the way of excellent or good enough. We just never do what we're supposed to do because we're, we're so busy trying to get to perfect, which we're probably not going to attain. On the flip side of that, good enough can become the enemy of excellence. And so we, we just live in this tension of, do I need to keep pushing forward or have I attained excellence in whatever it is I'm doing, my job, raising a family, my Bible study, do, have I attained excellence or do I, do I keep pushing towards perfection and spin the wheels that are never going to get there? That's a, that's a tension. And we wrestle with that in almost everything that we do. So as we talk about excellence and how do, we, how do we determine where we're at, we need to have, I think, a biblical worldview, a biblical framework. So we go to God and we look at God and here's God who is perfect and everything that he makes is perfect. Do you realize, I mean, secular scientists have described the world that we, we live in as existing, this is a quote, on a razor's edge. And what they mean is that is this universe, especially where we live, is so finely tuned to life that any bit of movement off of that razor's edge would end in our demise. For example, one of many things scientists tell you, not Christian scientists, secular scientists, (coughs) the orbit of the earth, the path that it's on, the earth moves no more than one ninth of an inch every 18 miles in its orbit. That's very small. If it moved one-tenth or one-eighth, we would burn to death or freeze to death. Now, that blows my mind. But we have a God who perfectly created a universe and it works perfectly. Now, yes, sin has entered in and sin has begun to break down the world in which we live, (coughs) but that's not on God. We have this God who is by definition perfect and the things he does is perfect. You and I, we've already been disqualified from that. We've had sin in our life. Perfect isn't a standard that we can attain on our own. Jesus in us makes us righteous and that's a whole nother story for a whole other time. But we can move towards excellence. And what I'd suggest to you is this, that our excellence in our life and what we do, parenting, our jobs, as a church member, that excellence there's no other substitute for the kind of God that we serve. If you think about God, is God worth, worthy of anything less than our very best, our excellence? No. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's this conversation that we pick up and there's a principle in here that Paul applies. And so I want to read you the verse and then we're going to go back and <coughs> talk about the context that, from which it came. 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one. This is the one verse we're going to talk about all week. So you can take this home and start the conversation with your kids. And as parents, you'll probably love this conversation. Paul says this, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. And here's the principle, because God is who he is. Excellence is what I'm aiming for. I'm doing everything that I can so that God gets glory. Everything that I have is an offering to the most holy, most perfect creator of the universe. Now, in the context of this verse, here's what's happening. The people in Corinth, the Christians who are getting this letter, they're having some uh, dilemmas amongst themselves. They have some people that uh, have gone to the marketplace and they've bought meat from the marketplace and that meat's been sacrificed to pagan idols in and around Corinth. And so the church is having this dilemma because there are some people inside the church that are going, don't go buy the meat that's been sacrificed to these pagan idols because that's, that's bad. And, so, and if you buy the meat, I don't want to eat it. I don't want to be a part of that because that's like evil meat. Now you've got some other Christians who are going, you know what, listen, those gods don't even exist. They're not even real. It's not evil meat, it's just meat. That's all it is. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. it it's just beef, that's all it is. And, and some guy sacrificed to a fake God, this animal, doesn't make the beef any, any less beef. It doesn't make it bad. And so they're having this dilemma. Now that's kind of odd to us, but you can appreciate this. Because some of you guys in here are, be on both sides of the issue. In, in the evangelical world in 2015, it might be something like alcohol. There, there are some people, especially if you find them in a Baptist church, there's some people that go, alcohol is inherently evil. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. Uh, In fact, what we wrestle with, if if you're on that stance, you have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus went to a wedding and turned some water into wine, and not just like like cheap wine, the good stuff. Read it, That's that's what happened. The host of the wedding comes back and goes, you saved the best to last. We have to wrestle with Paul telling Timothy, take a little wine. And so, I mean, if we're like, hey, alcohol is evil, we got to go through and kind of like fold those pers- portions of our Bible over. Now the Bible does talk about drunkenness and it's very clear that drunkenness is, is sinful. It's disobedience towards God, but alcohol in and of itself isn't, but that's this, that's this kind of struggle that maybe the church has, or at least had 10, 15 years ago, probably a little bit today, today that the Corinthians had. People going, alcohol is bad, don't touch it. And other people going, alcohol is not bad, the abuse of it's bad. And the other side going, yeah, but look at what alcohol means in our culture. Look at at every beer commercial, you know? Every beer commercial takes place in the snow with women in bikinis. What is that saying? You know that? And and other people are going, golly, but you know what? I have friends that that I go to work with that that we have wine and we go out and and we drink. I I am in a relationship with them. And because it's not bad, I'm not going to make them feel judged because of, of these other standards that aren't biblical. And there's the conversation. And that's kind of what Paul's dealing with. That's what he's wrestling with here. And so what Paul does is he takes this principle that whatever we do, we do it excellently because God God is worthy of that. And he applies it to relationships. And what he says here is he says, guys, we're getting really caught up on, should I eat meat or should I not? Should I drink or should I don't? He says, this is what you need to do. Whether you eat it, drink it, whatever you do, just make sure that you're living and you're living for the glory of God. And he takes this principle of excellence and he applies it to relationships. And he says, if you're going to live excellently and everything that you do is going to be raised to the higher standard because your life is a testimony, then it needs to be in the relationship that you have with each other. And what he says is this, if there's 40 of you and you have no problems with alcohol and you're going out to drink or you're going out to dinner or something like that, and you've got one person in your group, 40 of you that have no problems with alcohol, but one one of your group does, because you love God and you want to live excellently and you love that person, the 40 of you that have no problem with alcohol, especially since you don't have a problem with it, don't order it. It's not about alcohol. It's about living excellently and doing what you, what you can for the glory of God and saying, you know what? You as a person who have this issue, which I don't, and it's not that big a deal and it's not a biblical issue. We love you and we love God. We're gonna live excellently together. So we're not going to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Took some college kids out that were graduated, that are over 21. We went out and we're hanging out at kind of a reunion time. And one of them came to me and they said, and you could tell the tension. They said, hey, I probably shouldn't order a beer, should I? She's 21. Biblically, he's Okay. My response to him, and again, you might disagree with this, but my response to him is, hey, it is okay with me. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't offend my conscience. But what I would suggest you do is a small group. I suggest you ask everybody else. And if somebody, nobody's going to go, no, don't. But if somebody even gives you kind of like a, uh, sure, I'd probably get, get a Coke is what I would do. Um, for me, I have no problems with alcohol. I don't drink alcohol because I have one whole side of my family that, every one of them has passed away because of alcoholism. I don't want anything to do with it from a, a health standpoint. Have no problem with it. But even if I didn't have that, I personally would choose not to drink because what I don't need to do is to be inside Chili's with a margarita and somebody who comes to our church and is a member here who has some very strong feelings about alcohol, it blow up their faith and mess them all up. Not worth it to me because I love them. And I wanna live excellently for them and I wanna live excellently for God. Does that make sense? And so that's what Paul's saying. And again, this is not an alcohol discussion. It's it's about our life. It's just a good illustration because none of us went to the HEB this week and went, I wonder if this meat's been sacrificed to Allah. You know what I mean? So we kind of, but that's just kind of the idea. And so he takes this principle to live excellently because God is worthy of that. And he applies it to the relationships for the Corinthians. But the principle's there. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So let's talk about what does that look like practically. Let me give you three things. Here's the first one. Some of us, some of us have to say no to the good so that we can say yes to the excellent. I've said that before. I've just said it, say no to the good so you can say yes to the great. And I'm gonna say it again because it's such a good life principle. Say no to the good so that we can say yes to the excellent. I talked about sermon I'm talking about we just kind of run out and we just wanna get done. How many things do we have in our life that we're missing excellence out because we're so worn out trying to do so much stuff. Your teenagers, your teenagers do this all the time. They say yes to everything. Because if they say no, they might miss an experience. If they say no, they might miss something on their college resume and they're not gonna get in and they're not gonna graduate and they will be a failure in life. You know, that's not true. In fact, it would be better for us if we had some teenagers that understood the value of excellence because they serve a perfect and excellent God and leaned into some things and did them very, very well instead of being so spread apart. But you know what? (laughs) They learn it from us. They learn it from us because we've said yes to everything and we've said yes to everything for them. We started when they were little saying yes to everything and now we're struggling with living excellently because we just don't have time. A couple of years ago, I don't know, Why am I doing on time? I don't want to go super long. Okay, so, several years ago, the First Baptist Church had a disciple now. If you're not familiar with disciple now, um, it's we we had thirty plus homes, host homes. And we'd have 300 students that'd show up for a weekend, Friday through Sunday. We'd put them into host homes. We'd bring in Disciple Now leaders from all over the state to lead these small groups at home. We'd bring in top-of-the-line speakers, top-of-the-line bands. And because we did Disciple Now in order to reach students for the gospel, let them hear who Jesus was, we did a lot of fun stuff in the afternoon. We'd, we'd take all the guys and put them on buses and take them out to paintball. One year, we took the girls And we rented out nearly every manicure and pedicure place in town by the hour. Some of y'all were around maybe when we did that. Um, We were not real popular with the manicure pedicure place. I mean, we gave them a lot of money, but it was was a crazy. And we we sent girls at certain hours to get manicures and pedicures. Um, Done all kinds of things. Cost thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, in order to reach students for the gospel. And we did, as we normally do, we did some evaluating. We did some looking into money and why we're spending and trying to be a good steward. And we, we, we looked over several years and what we realized is our purpose for Disciple Now was evangelism. It was to see teenagers come to know Jesus. And we were looking back and we were going, man, for the last several years, that just hasn't been happening for whatever reason. We're spending tens of thousands of dollars to do that. And what we realized was this, we had a great program. It was great. You get 300 kids to show up for something, that's, that's great. It was a church-wide event. We had senior adults, I mean, everybody chipping in. Great event. But for what its purpose was, it was no longer excellent. It wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, it was great, it was good, and here was the struggle. When I came here 12 years ago, it was the youth ministry, it was the only thing that was happening. In fact, this church had taught all the other churches in Georgetown how to do it. It was the First Baptist Georgetown bread and butter. But we had to come to a point and go, maybe we need to evaluate. Maybe it's not excellent anymore. That's hard. It's hard, because a lot of people have some emotional connections to it. And what I was worried about was our seniors that had gone from sixth grade to 11th grade and to come back and go, hey, it's your senior year. We're killing disciple now. And God moved in such a way our senior leadership that were, helped us walk through some things. As we talked about it, they were the ones that said before I came to say, kill it, let's stop it. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Um, and we put in its place Collide Impact Weekend, which is somewhat similar, students staying in homes. But you know what? We run about 100 students to that, not 300. 300 students down to 100. Most people would look at that and go, hey, that's not excellent. But here's what's happened. Even though those numbers decline, you know what hasn't declined? The number of teenagers we baptize. In fact, it's up. What hasn't declined, what's grown is our Wednesday night and Sunday morning, Wednesday night particularly, collide these things that used, that, that where we kill the thing to reach people, all of a sudden God's blessed in other ways. And those hundred students have gone out and they've started to make a difference in their community in, in, in this way. And this is what we're aiming for. That Pickett Elementary School, three or four months ago, needed some landscaping done, struggling. And the teachers do that. If you're a teacher, you know, you're like teacher, janitor, supply giver. You know, you have all these roles. The, the, the school administration called us first baptist georgetown youth ministry and said hey your kids have come out and done so much stuff for us do you think they would be interested in helping us with this that's a win when your community has a need and the person they go to is the church next sunday a couple of our small groups are going to go out to lunch together and then they're going to go over to the community center and they're going to tear down chairs for the pregnancy help center you know why Because now we've served the Pregnancy Help Center through Collide Impact Weekend and Collide Impact enough that when they have their annual banquet and they needed help tearing down chairs, they have a problem that needs to be solved. Guess who they called? That's a win. That's excellence in ministry. But we had to kill something that was really good, great even, to get there. So the question is, in your life, in your family, what needs to go? What good thing, what great thing do you need to reevaluate so that you can do excellence? That may be a question you ask for business. That may be a question you ask if you're a school teacher for your class. That, that question is something we ask to move excellence. What do we need to say no to that's good so that we can say yes to that's excellent? Here's the second thing kind of practical. Consider your day and offering. You know, if you tithe or if you give, if you give an offering, if you don't tithe, you give an offering. When you write that check or you give to something, you kind of look at it, right? You're like, can we, can we afford this? Can, you know, what will this do to, if that, if you don't do that, you're probably not really giving. I mean, it's certainly you're not sacrificially giving. If you're like, well, I can drop that, that's no big deal. But if you're like a tither, 10% of your income, or you're giving sacrificially, I mean, you look, you kind of count the cost before you do it. You, you look at well, what if we looked at our day that way when it came to excellence? What if we said, hey, God, Romans 12, two says that, uh, that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice on the altar to Jesus. Not to kill ourselves, but we, God, my life is just, and God, I want to give an excellent offering. So here's what it would look like for me. Last night, this morning, I wake up and I go, okay, what do I have on my agenda? I, I get to teach. I've got a meeting for a ministry team. I've got people coming over to watch a cowboy football game at my house. I've got a, a mission trip meeting. I've got four kind of big things. Before I go to bed that night or when I wake up in the morning or in the shower on my way to work, I start processing through that. I go, God, how can I take these things that are on my schedule today and offer them as an excellent offering to you? That might change the way I treat people or host people in my house when they come for the football game. It might be something small. It might be instead of me walking over to my seat that sits right in front of the television that, that, that fits the contours of my rear end. And here comes a friend that I've invited to my house. It might be that I take the seat that doesn't have the good angle to the television. But I thought of that because I'm like, God, how do I excellently live for you today? You might go back and go, let me look over this meeting agenda one more time <clears throat> to see what it's missing. How can it be more excellent as I live my life to the glory of God? That's, a, that's, a, that's an easy thing that all of us could do. Morning, night, something like that, to think through processes that. It might be a project. It might be, you might be a, a mom that stays at home and raises kids and you might go, listen, I, I clean the house. Maybe it's an attitude of excellence to say, I'm cleaning this house to the glory of God. I'm gonna clean it as if Jesus was going to be my guest today. Start thinking that way. Here's the third thing. We apply excellence to our relationships. That's what Paul did in this passage. Paul took excellence and he said, hey, you gotta treat people in a way that shows that you, you believe in excellence and that you are giving glory to God. The people you see, maybe you do the same thing. You look at your agenda. Who am I gonna see today? And how do I treat them excellently? Maybe you go, I don't know who I'm gonna see today, but you know what? The first three people I see today from when I get to the office, I'm gonna be intentionally excellent with. I'm gonna think, of what does it look like to have an excellent relationship if it's 20 seconds with them passing in the hallway to make it excellent to the glory of God? What about your family? You have excellent relationships in your family. What do you need to do there? I'm gonna tell you this. Um, I've been confessing a lot today. Confessing how nerdy I am when it comes to high school football. Confessing that I didn't even really care to make a message excellent. I just wanted to get it done. Here's one more confession, the unholy trinity here. God's been wrestling with me about this and it comes to relationships. Sometimes I think I'm wittier than I really am. I don't know why y'all are laughing. All you're doing is confirming the fact that that may be true. I tend to get on social media, Facebook, Twitter, things like that, especially the football, things like that. And I love to mess with people. My friends that are like Aggie fans or Baylor fans, Marshall knows, Marshall's a Baylor fan. He's wearing his Baylor shirt today. I've already given him a hard time about it. I love to mess. Here's what, here's what what I've come to realize. People get on face and they say things back about the Longhorns, the Cowboys or whatever. And it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me, One, I, didn't, I never played for the Cowboys. I didn't go to the University of Texas. You can get on and talk about Howard Payne and how terrible their football team is. And I'll go, you don't even really know how bad they are. Let me tell you, you know I mean? You could get on and go, man, Howard Payne, what a joke of a college. And I'd probably go, <laughs> you know, well, you're just wrong. Um, but it doesn't bother me. And I forget, so I joke around people and it doesn't bother me, but I forget that sometimes the things that I say are not excellent with the people I have relationships with. And so one of the things that I've been trying to struggle through very recently, within the last week or so, is is trying to think through before I post something, what am I posting? Is this excellent? I'll tell you right now, you have full permission. If you ever (laughs) see a Facebook post of mine or something like that's something along those lines, send me a private message and say, hey, that, was, that might have gone too far. I've actually had people do that in the past and I've gone immediately back and went, oh, they're probably right, or if they're not, you know, I go, what a baby. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I might have thought that. I'll still go back and delete the post because what is a Facebook post of wittiness worth if it's offended somebody? I mean, is it, is it really worth, oh gosh, I got three more Facebook likes. Who cares if you're under the, over the age of 18? I mean, if you're under the age of 18, I know that's a big, big deal, but what do I care? And so that's kind of how it's playing out for me. Let me close with this story. And I love this, we talked about some uh, doctor stuff at the very beginning, told you some of these funny things. Last year, you know, we had the big snowstorm that came across the Southeast and and shut it down. There was a doctor, his name is Dr. Zinko Hrenku. He was a doctor at the Trinity Medical Center in Birmingham. And on January 24th of last year, he snowed into his house. Everybody that's at the hospital, the doctors are working, they're snowed in. They they, they can't go anywhere. There's crisis happening. The medical response teams, emergency people, uh, I mean, they're having problems. Just the city, the grid shut down. He finds out through a phone call, email, I don't know. He finds out that they have a patient in the hospital that needs surgery. And if he doesn't have the surgery, there's a 90% chance he's going to pass away. And there is not a surgeon in the hospital that can do the surgery that's available. And there's nobody that can get there. You know what this doctor does? Puts on his scrubs, puts on his winter clothes and walks six miles to the hospital. In the blizzard, he, he later, when he's interviewed about by, he said, hey, it's really no big deal. The, the, the administrator of the hospital said, no, no, no. It was a very big deal. On his way, his six-mile trek to the hospital, he went rolling down a hill because he lost his footing. On his way, he stopped and helped some stranded stranded motorists. I mean, this is like the good Samaritan, you know, sees this winter blizzard. He's helping people all along the way. He gets there, performs the surgery, and saves the guy's life. That's excellence. That's a doctor who said, you know what? Good enough and above average isn't okay. I don't know if he's a believer or not. I don't know that. But I am, many of you are. And if a doctor looks at his practice of surgery, what he's been called to do, and he says, man, I wanna do it excellently, even if it costs me something. I think those of us who understand how great and wonderful and magnificent our God is, it should be easy for us to say, you know what? I wanna give my life as an excellent offering back. As a church, that's what we wanna do. And I'll tell you this, because it's true for your family, it's true for you, it's going to be hard. We had a conversation in our staff, and I'll close, I've been talking way too long. Had a conversation in our staff as we started processing through this idea of excellence. And when you say that, hey, let's be excellent, everybody goes, <coughs> yeah, that's great. Because again, no, nobody raises their hand and goes, mediocre, I mean, it's easier. Yeah, you know I mean, nobody says that. Everybody's like, yeah, excellent. But I said, you know what that means? That means that the youth ministry budget may not see as much money this year as it did last year because we may have to take some money to go paint some walls in this building that aren't excellent. That means there's some ministries that we've done that are good, that are really good, but they're not accomplishing our purposes and our goals as a youth ministry, as a church. And while they're good, they're not excellent. And it's time to let those things go. That causes tension. People don't like that It won't be easy for our church to become excellent and it won't be easy for your family or for you because excellence costs time, energy, money, cost. But we have a God who's more than excellent and we owe him that.